Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Listen, in-house, they're passing around something. They're passing around some clay. Make sure you take one. If you're watching this later or you're online and you want to run and grab some Play-Doh or some clay, you can just for fun. It's just an illustration, not a necessity. No worries. Listen, today is the first official Sunday of summer. Any summer fans? Anybody in the house that loves summer? Me too, me too. I love summer. I love the beach. I love the pool. I love the lake. My husband calls me a sun worshiper. Listen, Jesus, I love you the most, but I really also do love being out in the sun. But I have to tell you, we have to be careful about the summer. There are a lot of things in the summer that can dry you out, okay? A lot of things that can dry you out. You have to sunscreen, you have to moisturize, you have to hydrate. Because if you don't, you're gonna start to dry out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. I was actually talking to my friend, Quinesha. She is our MKids coordinator. And we were talking about this. We were talking about being in the sun and skincare and all the bougie, like very girly things that Quinesha and I talk about. And she was like, listen, I have more melanin than you and black don't crack, okay? And I was like, yeah, okay. What does this have to do with what we're talking about? She's like, here's the deal. Let me educate you, Kristen, because you are pale as hail, as she told me. She said, here's the deal. I can be in the sun longer, and I can take it in, and you can't. And that is true. White people, if you, listen to me right now. I know you think you look good in that tan. You do. You look good now. But in a few years, you're going to be regretting it. I am telling you, sunscreen because you're gonna start to get wrinkly, okay? That's where your wrinkles come from. And Quinesha said, she was like, listen, you can tell them, the black and the brown people, that maybe their black don't crack, but they're gonna get ashy. And the signs, okay, thank you. See, I don't understand. Thank you for the affirmation here. The signs of drying out are still going to show up. They're still going to be here. So you have to hydrate, you have to sunscreen, you have to moisturize. Why are we talking about this? Because the same thing can go for our spirituality. Your spirituality can start to dry up. And if you aren't careful, if you don't pay attention, you might miss the signs. And it's a slow process. It takes time. Now, just like with your wrinkles or your ashiness, you can fix it, you know, thanks to science, esthetology. But it's a lot harder to fix the damage after it's been done. Wouldn't it have been better if we could catch the signs in advance. So let's look at a story in the Bible where we can see this actually happening. Jeremiah was an Israelite priest and he lived and worked in Jerusalem, which was in the kingdom of Judah. And he was called to be a prophet. So he is somebody that spoke for God. He brought messages to the people on behalf 
of God. And in this part of Jeremiah that we're going to look at in a second, he is warning the Israelites. He is telling them, you are going away from God and you need to come back. You are breaking the covenants that you made with him. And it was, it was rough, you guys. Like, not only were they worshiping other gods, there were other idols. There was a lot of social injustice. The leaders were highly, highly corrupt. Isn't it funny how sometimes history seems to repeat itself? So he is trying to tell them. He's like, listen, you have got to come back to God. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Jeremiah 18. It says, so, uh, verse 1, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop, and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped. So he crushed it into a lump of clay and started over. I love this visual, and I love this picture so much. I can just see Jeremiah going down to the potter's shop, right? And he sees the potter sitting at the wheel, working with clay. Have you guys ever seen a potter working with clay? Gen Xers, grand millennials like myself. Remember the movie Ghost? It was just like that. It was just like that. Millennials, look it up. Yes, this is, you need to know this. But if you ever watch somebody work with clay, if you watch a potter on a wheel, everything is deliberate, everything is intentional, and it is so slow. It takes tiny little adjustments to get it to be exactly what they want it to be. And in this case, it says that the potter, it didn't turn out as the potter had hoped. So he smushed it back into his hands. This is what God wanted Jeremiah to see before he gave him this message. In verse 5, then the Lord gave me this message, O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I, want, that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says, I am planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways, each of you, and do what is right. Do what is right. I know it sounds like strong language, right? It sounds like God has really strong language here, and it could read like threats, but we have to remember that this is not the first time God has given this message to the Israelites. He, these are his chosen people, and he is trying to get their attention. But I think when we pair this visual of the potter with God's words. See, when I see those two things together, I don't read this as threatening or intimidating. I see grace, and I see mercy, and I see God saying, hey, let's stay in this together. He paints this beautiful picture of himself as the potter and people as the clay, and if you'll notice, the potter did not, when it didn't turn out as he had hoped, he didn't pick it up and throw it away and get a new piece. He took the clay and he put it back in his hands. 
See, I was thinking about the difference between clay and Play-Doh. I know you guys have clay, right? If you don't have it yet, go ahead and pull it out. See, I've always preferred Play-Doh. Play-Doh is more fun. Like, look at this one has glitter in it. Play-Doh is so fun. It smells like childhood. It smells like kindergarten, right? It's always soft. You can use it right away. Play-Doh's the actual best, but maybe God hadn't invented it yet, and so we were just working with clay at the time. See, clay I never preferred. This was never my preference. You can't make anything with this right now, right? It's not soft. It's hard. It's hard. It takes time. It takes patience. And so I never preferred clay because in order for it to be moldable, it has to be warmed up. And the only way to warm up the clay is to keep it in your hand. Think about that. That's why I gave you this clay. Think about that. Hold this in your hand and see how it changes over the next few minutes. See, God is telling them, just return to me. Just return to my ways. Let me continue to mold you. That is all you have to do. I want to make you into the best version of yourself that you can be, but you've got to stay in my hands. So Jeremiah does what God calls him to in verse 12, and he takes God's message to the Israelites. Verse 12, but the people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. Honestly, this is pretty par for the course for the Israelites, right? This is pretty par for the course. If you have read the Old Testament, they may be God's chosen people, but they were like the most stubborn people, the most stubborn people. God would do something great. They'd be happy for a minute. Then they'd mess it up. God would send them a messenger. They're like, yeah, no thanks. God says he's going to destroy them, gives them another chance, comes in, ultimately saves them. Everybody's happy for like a minute. And then the Israelites do it again. And it's just this cycle that repeats. And that's what's happening here. They're like, listen, Jeremiah, my guy, it's so much more fun doing what we want. You and God and your promises and all the things. Like we're just out here living our best lives. Okay, leave us alone. We're not going to listen to what God or you are saying. And it makes me wonder, did you ever stop and think about why the Israelites continued this cycle? Why they continued to mess up and to ignore God over and over again, even when he was giving them the most clear message? Do you ever stop and think, how do people who are so close to God find themselves so far away from him? Could it be that their faith simply dried out or even started to crack because they had moved farther and farther away out of God's hands? Surely there were signs, right? Surely there were signs that they could have looked for. I've got a couple for you here. See if you recognize any of these. I think the first stage is spirituality that's drying out. And spirituality that's drying out is critical. It's critical. If you find yourself being critical, skeptical, kind of, of everything, this could be a first sign. Now, I am not talking about questioning and doubting. That is a very different thing. God is okay with your questions. God is okay with your doubts. God is okay with your wrestling. You can have questions and doubts and wrestling and be still smack dab in the middle of his hand. 
Paul even tells us in Philippians 2, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is not offended by your doubts. He is not offended by your questions. All of that is fine. But a dry spirituality is different. This is taking it to a different level. This is when we are beginning to move out of God's hands. And there could be different reasons that this happens. Maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe you asked God for something, and it didn't happen. And not only did it not happen, but like the opposite happened. So you're like, you know what, God? I'm good. I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going to figure my own way out. Maybe you're starting to see issues and problems in religion and spirituality in the church because they're there. (laughs) Because they're there. But you know that your spirituality is drying out when you're starting to see problems, but you're not actually looking for solutions. You're just focused on the problems. When you become critical, you stop relying on God to help form your spirituality, and maybe you start to listen to and go to other voices instead, because somewhere deep down, you believe that not only does God actually want what's best for you, because he's clearly not showing up to do it, but you might believe that you actually know better than he does. Because when you take control and you do things on your own and you take stuff into your own hands, then stuff all of a sudden starts to happen. All of these voices, all of these opinions, the questions, the wrestling, it can be very confusing and it can take you to a place where you go, I don't even know what I believe anymore. And if we don't, Catch it. If we don't see the signs when our spirituality starts to dry up, then you end up with cracks. We end up with cracks. And the difference here is that um, spirituality that's cracked is cynical. And there's a difference between critical and being cynical. When you're critical, you might to see things. You might notice flaws. When you're cynical, you start to apply that everywhere. You assume that everyone is flawed and all of the things are flawed and you start painting with broad brushes and generalizing all churches and all of religion and all of Christians, all Christians are terrible. You take these issues and you apply them so much across the board that you actually start to see problems where they don't even exist because you have convinced yourself that all churches are this way and all pastors are this way. So you are now part of the voice that is not only noticing that there are problems, but then pointing it out to other people to make sure that everybody else knows how broken and messed up Christianity and spirituality is as well. Maybe you find yourself, like I said, just using extreme language, saying things like, well, nobody is a Christian anymore. Everyone has left my church. All pastors are this, fill in the blank, right? And so you stop. You just stop, not just going to church, but you stop hanging out with people from your, maybe your church or your spiritual community. You stop praying, you stop reading your Bible, you stop listening to worship music. Does anybody have, you don't have to raise your hand, it's a rhetorical question, but can you think of people in your life, possibly, 
that you were very connected to, maybe, I don't know, a few years ago, pre like that little pandemic that we went through? People that challenged you and encouraged you and inspired you, that maybe you just kind of like ghosted. They didn't actually do anything, but you just kind of ghosted and let those friendships or those relationships just kind of fall off because they remind you of who you were when you were closer to God, when you were engaged in these spiritual practices, and you're afraid that maybe they're going to bring that up and you just don't want to go there. See, cynicism steals our ability to trust. It steals our ability to trust God or to trust anyone at all because it convinces us that what hurt us is going to happen again. Cynicism tricks you into believing that just because someone says God is this way or God does this or God says this, it tricks you into believing it, even though you know deep down that that is not the God that you know. We have to notice these things. We have to see these signs. That's why you're upset to begin with, it's that, it's that rubbing, it's that friction of like, well, I don't think that God is this way, but I saw on Instagram that somebody said God's happy about this. Well, I didn't, I didn't think this is what it meant to be a Christian, but all the Christians that I know are now doing this thing and saying these things, and I don't know, I didn't really think that God was like that. That's where the friction comes in. That's where the cynicism the cynicism can grow if we don't catch it. And then if something cracks enough, something gets enough cracks in it, what happens? It breaks. It breaks. And spirituality that's broken cancels. This is where people go, I'm done. I am done. I am done with church. I am done with religion. I am not a Christian. I'm done. I'm over it. No, thank you. I'm done. And this could look like now not only just generalizing, but honing in on all of the podcasts and documentaries. And I know that sometimes they can be like so fun to watch, right? It's almost like watching a car wreck, like you can't look away. But maybe those are the only voices. That's the only input you're getting when it comes to spirituality or Christianity or God. It's things that are snarky and sarcastic. And you love them. And that's all that you take in. So you, you're um, just paying attention and focusing on the things that highlight the negative. Well, if you're doing that, of course, not only are you going to generalize all churches and all things, but you're going to cancel it, right? Who would want to be part of something like that? And while cancel culture can be kind of a trendy thing, this can be a term that's thrown around, right? Sometimes it's used maybe even more than we would like to hear about it. I am going to propose to you that it actually happens more intensely in the church than it does anywhere else. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you didn't have a good experience? Maybe you didn't like your food. Maybe your waitstaff was not great. Maybe even you got food poisoning, right? Awful. Never going back there again. Did you cancel all restaurants? I don't think you did. Probably not. When we cancel a athlete, an athlete, for doing something gross. Do we cancel sports? No. Thank you, Marley. <laughs> we don't. We don't do this in any other area, but we do it in the church. And not only that, but we encourage other people to cancel the church based on 
one or two experiences here and there. And let me say this, hear me say this. There are terrible things happening in specific churches, under specific leadership, in specific denominations, and those things are not okay. We need to grieve with those who grieve. We need to hold space for people that need healing, and we need to call out for justice and change where people have been hurt, and there has been damage done in the name of Jesus because that is abuse, and that is not okay. That is not okay. We need to bridge the gaps that divide us. We need to be the people that see the humanity of everyone, even the other, even the other side, the people that we don't understand or agree with. The global church needs to be better in these areas. Yes, I also want to caution you against only listening to the voices that focus on the negative, because there are churches out there. There are little small communities out there, and there are unfamous pastors out there that are doing the absolute best they can to reflect the love of God. But those stories are not as fun to share. They're not as exciting, so they don't go viral. If we cancel all churches based on our experiences with the wrong ones, I am afraid that one day we will wake up and realize that our spirituality has broken. I think maybe that's exactly what happened here in Jeremiah. He delivers another message from God, warning the Israelites again, what will become of them if they choose to leave God's hand and they take their response to the next level? Verse 18, then the people said, come on, let's plot a way to stop Jeremiah. We have plenty of priests and wise men and prophets, which was true. There was a lot of them back in the day. We don't need him to teach the word and give us advice and prophecies. Let's spread rumors about him and ignore what he says. So Jeremiah keeps speaking truth. Jeremiah keeps walking in obedience to what God is calling him to. And the people are getting more and more annoyed because they don't like God's message. They don't like what Jeremiah is bringing up to them. So they decide to tear him down. They're going to slander him. They're going to uh, miscredit him so that not only are they not going to listen, but they're going to make sure that nobody else listens or pays attention to him either. Do you see how the Israelite spirituality is drying up as they go farther and farther away from the hand of God, from who God is calling them to be? They started critical. Then they got cynical. After this, they actually take it a step further and they plot to kill him. Like that's the ultimate cancel, right? You can't cancel somebody past that. They're going further and further away. And friends, as much as it's easier and we want to blame problems on other people, we have to ask ourselves this question. Where am I? Where am I? Who am I letting mold me? Am I staying in the hand of God? Or am I over here being molded by something else? because you're going to be molded by something. 
Maybe it's majority culture. Maybe it is cynicism. Maybe it is criticism. Maybe it's apathy. Apathy is a hard one. (laughs) Apathy is a loss of interest. Apathy is going, I no longer care about what's going on within me. I no longer care about what's going on around me. And I think we see a lot of this right now. There are a lot of people going, I don't even care anymore. I said it this week. Anybody else? I don't even care anymore. Like, I can't. I don't even care. If you relate to that, can I ask you in the most gentle way, could that be a defense mechanism? Could that be a defense mechanism? Because it's not that you don't care. You think you don't care, but you actually care so much that it hurts too much to care. Could it actually be a defense mechanism? And I get it. This world is so heavy. There are so many hard things that we are facing right now. Even this week, I saw plenty of Christians who, in my opinion, are not actually reflecting the God that I know. And they are misrepresenting our loving God, just giving people reasons to turn away and leave him. It brought out all kinds of feelings in me. Feelings that I did not want to sit with, feelings that were uncomfortable, and I wanted to run away and I wanted to quit. But we have to sit in it. We have to be in our feelings. It is so much easier for us to say, it is what it is. It is what it is. Than to stop fighting what sometimes feel like a never-ending battle against people who probably are supposed to be on our same team at times. It can leave us feeling like we're screaming into a void. Because it's incredibly painful to stop and think, right? It's incredibly painful to stop and think about the relationships that are broken. It's incredibly painful to stop and think about all of the people that are being confused and all of the damage that is being done by what Christians are saying and doing in the world but we cannot choose to just put all of the blame on other people. We cannot put all of the blame on other people or stay unaffected because apathy will mold us. And if we stay in apathy too long, it can actually become a neurological disorder. It can become a neurological disorder. Apathy is often found um, in diagnosed conditions like Alzheimer's, dementia, clinical depression, because you're the front of your brain that controls behavior, goals, feelings, emotions, actually stops functioning. It stops functioning. That's why you feel shut down, because your brain is literally shutting down. That's why you tell yourself that you don't care, because you know what it feels like when you do. My friend Aaron Moon always says, your unsoothed heart is your most powerful weapon. Your unsoothed heart, those feelings are your most powerful weapon. I know it's hard, but we have to let ourselves sit in the pain and the confusion, and God will sit right there with us. And if you can find the right community and the right people, they will sit right in it with you as well. My fear is that some of us are slowly losing all of our feelings related to God. 
maybe without even realizing it, because we've removed ourselves from him, and we are starting to dry out. If you already feel like you're in this place, you're like, great, cool, I'm already done. Like, I've already checked out. I already have no feelings. It's okay. It's okay. I honestly think it's even normal at times with all of the things that are piling on us every time we turn around. And there can be so many different reasons for you to say it just doesn't feel the same. Going to church just doesn't feel the same. Hanging out with those people just doesn't feel the same. Even trying to be just me and God in a one-on-one, it just doesn't feel the same. But instead of going to apathy, we have to move. We have to take action and do the things that will lead us back to God, whether we feel like doing it or not. See, spiritual drying out happens when you let your feelings lead you to a different action. And now if we want to go back to God, we have to go backwards. We have to act before we feel. We have to act before we feel. Why do you go to the dentist or the doctor? Because you feel like it? Because it's fun and it's happy? No. You go to the dentist or the doctor because you know you have to. You know it's the right thing to do, right? Do you think we, that my kids eat vegetables because they feel like it's fun? No. We force them to eat them <laughs> because we know it's good for them. We know it's good for them. And so that's why we do it. And listen, as much as I'm standing up here talking about like don't dry out and hydrate and all the things, I am the worst person on the planet when it comes to drinking water. I am the worst, the worst. I'm so bad to the point where, and I know this about myself, so I've, had, I've tried to trick myself into feeling a different way about water. And I've bought like the fancy Starbucks tumblers because they make me feel so happy. And I'm like, no, I'm going to drink water. And instead they just sit like decorations on my, on my desk or at home in the kitchen. It doesn't work. Why? You can't trick yourself into a feeling. You can't force yourself into a feeling. We have to move and act before the feelings are there. So if we can't force a feeling, how do we make ourselves do it, right? There's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And we're not going to go through all seven. We're just going to do the first three really quick because I think they apply here. They're all habits that have to do with us as individuals. And the first one is to be proactive, to focus on what you can control. Who are you listening to? What voices are you letting in? Think about your social media. Think about what you're reading. Think about the news channels you're watching. Is anybody in there inspiring you, challenging your faith, helping you to think? Or is it all that snarky, sarcastic, you know, negative voice? And I am not at all telling you to live in an echo chamber. I am a very big proponent of having diverse voices in your ears, in your mind. I think that you should even listen to people that you don't agree with so that you can learn the other side. But how is it presented? What is the tone? Because all of these voices are gonna help you form an opinion. Is it helpful? Is it hopeful? Does it, does it challenge you to take action? Or are they all just spicy takes that kick up rage to make people emotional so then they'll also take a spicy take and just add to the noise? What about the music you listen to? When's the last time you listened to worship music? Listen, I don't listen to worship music all the time. Lizzo is my girl. I love me some Lizzo. When I'm prepping for messages, I listen to Lizzo. Why? Because she hypes me up. I love it. 
But after a while, we've got to bring some Jesus music back into our ears. All of those things float around in our mind. If all we're listening to is music with spicy words or music that's angry, those words are in our brains. Our thoughts lead to our words. Our words lead to our actions. It matters, and we can choose what we listen to. You can't control what other people are saying, but you can control whether or not you're going to choose to believe what they're saying. You get to take it back to God. You get to hear something and go, huh, I don't know if that's right. I'm not sure if that's true. Take what you see in here back to God and ask him. You can control that. Second habit is to begin with the end in mind. Have a plan. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Plan time to engage. You know you're going to scroll TikTok before bed, so don't tell yourself you're going to read your Bible before bed. You're not going to do it. Don't do that. Come up with a plan and make it engaging. Make it exciting. Reading the Bible and spending time in Scripture doesn't have to be boring. You don't have to sit down and go from Genesis to Revelation line by line and then be like, okay, I guess I did my quiet time. That would take me like 95 years to do that, I think. Listen to something. Go outside. Read a book that's like faith adjacent. Listen to a Bible on a podcast. There are other ways that you can do this, but make a plan. And then remember those people that you maybe ghosted? I mean, not you didn't do it, but like the person next to you probably ghosted people from church. Reach back out to them. Reach back out to them. Connect to them. I'm not saying that you need to tell them that they like have to come back to church. Just reach back out. Connect. Find a spiritual community that challenges you and inspires you and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith and that reflects the love of God. Third habit is to put first things first. What matters? What actually matters? And are you making time for what's important or are you just reacting to what's urgent? What matters? Make it a priority. Maybe for for some of you, it is coming back to church, and this is your first time in a while, and we're so proud of you, and we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you're watching, and you're like, I don't even know how I got to this message. I don't know who you are. It's fine. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're watching also. Thank you for inviting your friends. Thank you for being a voice of hope to the people in your life. But it doesn't have to be going to church. It doesn't have to be, listen, There are people that go to church every week that are um, not nice. (laughs) There are people that sit in a church every single Sunday that are not nice. We're just going to say that. I'm going to say those words over and over. Sitting in a church doesn't mean you reflect Jesus. What is the spiritual practice that you need to start this week that's important to you? And remember, it's a relationship. Having a relationship with God, having a relationship with Jesus is just like any other relationship. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes communication. And you have to act before you feel. That's obedience and that's faith. That's saying, I am going to move trusting that God, you're going to show up when I do. Because I don't feel you right now. But I am going to move in faith. I am going to walk forward in faith Doing this one thing starts slow. Trusting that God will show up and he will show up. The more time you spend in his presence, 
the more you are going to find that feeling that is missing, that thing that you are looking for, whether it's his love, forgiveness, acceptance, grace, you will find it. You are never as dried out or cracked or broken as you think you are. There is a Japanese concept called kintsugi. I think we have some pictures if you guys want to put them up on the screen. And this is a way that in the Japanese culture, they would repair broken things. So if there's a pot, if there's something that breaks, when they put it back together, they make a compound with their glue that's gold. And they do this intentionally. This is on purpose because their goal is never just to repair something and put it back together. It is actually to highlight the brokenness. It is to highlight the cracks because they see it as part of this thing's history or story. And they believe that when you put it back together this way, you make it even more beautiful and unique than it was when it very first started. God wants to put your spirituality back this way. We just have to let him. God wants to put your spirituality back this way, and it will be his love that shines through the cracks. He is not waiting on you to put yourself back together. It is only his love that can do that. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Again, we are the clay jars here. We are the clay in this situation. No matter how you're smushed or pressed or crushed, you are not destroyed. Why? Because of Jesus. Verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Death is always going to be at work in us and among us. Criticism. Uh, apathy, distractions, temptation, cynicism. It is always going to be there because there is a very real enemy who wants to make sure that that happens, who wants to divide us and who wants to distract us so that we don't come together to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. But also, life is at work in you. If you're carrying around Jesus you're never actually as far away from him as you think you are. If you've never carried around Jesus before, if you've never thought about this, or if you feel like, well, I used to carry him and then I like dumped him out, it's never too late to start over. It's never too late to say, okay, I want this light to shine through me. And it may be the lightness, Jesus may be the lightness that you're looking for right now under the burden of all of the things that are trying to break you. If we will remain in God's hand and in his presence, we will never be unfinished, 
permanent, or beyond repair. When my oldest daughter was in preschool, she made a replica of her hand, and she told me she was so excited. Preschoolers can't keep secrets for anything, right? So I remember her running home, and before she even gave me the bag, she was like, I made you my hand, and it's so you can keep your rings in it. And I was like, oh, yay, baby, I'm so excited. And I remember opening it. And I remember opening it and seeing that I don't know how she did it, but before I even unwrapped it, it had already broken. And I remember standing there with her and just seeing all of these broken pieces. And we were both crushed. She was crushed because she don't know, didn't know how she broke it. I was crushed because I was, she was crushed, <laughs> you know. But I remember standing there and looking at these pieces. And I kept them. I kept these pieces anyway because it was special. And I wanted to remember how small she was and how precious she was. And I remember unro- unwrapping it in that moment and having this glimpse of like, this must be how God feels. This must be how God feels when we bring him the broken pieces of our life and we're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how it got so broken, but I want to give it to you anyway. And he still takes it and he keeps all of the pieces When I hold these pieces, it reminds me that God is not afraid of our brokenness. He holds onto it. And he doesn't want to just put us back together and make us whole so we can be a beautiful, pretty thing that sits up on the shelf. He wants to take these pieces. He wants to take our brokenness and give us purpose. He wants us to hold the brokenness of other people. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.